you live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality, but you do not know this. When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. Welcome to The Imperfect Buddhist, where we discuss Zen Buddhism and incorporating mindfulness into daily life. My name is Matthew Hawk Mahoney, and in today's episode, we'll be discussing the spirituality of creativity with my friend and mentor, Les Stroud. Many of you probably know Les from his work on the hit show Survivor Man that he did for the Discovery Channel. I met Les when he moved to my small mountain hometown in Oregon. At Rogue Coffee Roasters, the sound of the tossing green coffee filled in the space around our conversations as we got to know each other. I was shocked and starstruck as I turned around to see Survivor Man sitting at the coffee roasting bar as I did my job. Slowly, over time, I got to know less. We connected over music and creativity, which are a couple of the things that we have in common. That's why I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Les is so much more than a survival expert with a hit TV show. He's a musician, entrepreneur, and a high-level creative being. Maybe you're asking how this all ties into Buddhism. I can't answer that directly, but what I can point to is the connection between present moment awareness or meditative mind and spontaneous creativity. Look to Zen calligraphy and the famous Enzo. In Zen calligraphy, the little Enzo, that circle you might see every now and then, it's drawn in one continuous stroke. No mind, just creation. So let's dive into the interview with Les. Les, how you doing? Hey, good. Good to see you, man. How's it going over there in Oregon? Warm and sunny. Going to be 60 degrees today. 60 and sunny, so it's beautiful. That's rare for Oregon. So yeah, let's just jump right in. I'm assuming a lot of people are familiar with your work on Survivor Man. And I think that could be a good place to, to start for helping people understand you as a creative person. And I know that in our private conversations, you've shared you know, how, how Survivor Man got started. But I was wondering if you'd be willing to share the origins of Survivor Man with our audience. It, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little second for a little bit and ask you, you know, what kind of origins? Because um, for, for when I have a situation where, you know, we're talking about something that's as big and as unwieldy as, a, as a, you know, the past 20 plus years in 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 producing film work and producing Survivor Man. So the origins of all of that, there's, there's several origins. So what origins do you mean? So let's, let's put it like when we're having our private phone calls, we're talking about creative, being creative people and you know, having these ideas. A lot of times you mentor me on you know, taking an idea and bringing it into reality. And I think it could be helpful for people that are out there that maybe have these creative ideas to kind of hear you know, you had this idea for a survival show, you know, you're going to go out, uh, you're going to go out in, you know, nature and you're going to film this thing. I'm kind of just curious where that, if you remember where that idea came from and how you started to bring it into reality, a little bit of that. So the, it's interesting because I, I think 
ideas are, they're like a little bit of a double-edged sword in, in terms of how they come into being. You know, on one level, you can have the epiphany. You can have the great idea. And you're sitting on it and you're sure it's a great idea. On the other hand, ideas sometimes also just kind of fall into place. Um, you know, if not accidentally, they just sort of accumulate uh, in terms of, um, they're like several little ideas that kind of all pile up on top of each other and become one idea uh, or several little ideas that, that, that meld into one and that one takes shape. With Survivor Man, it's a little bit of both worlds because really I spent years teaching survival and years uh, wanting, thinking I could do more with the instruction of survival. And, and then with the, the thought that I could film myself teaching survival, that took hold a long time before Survivor Man. I mean, legitimately, I wanted to teach people survival and utilize television. Well, actually, I wanted to utilize film. Back when I was originally thinking of it, I was thinking I would make some VHS tapes. That's how far back that goes. But the reality is that uh, it takes a long time for ideas to take hold. So this is where years of teaching survival and the idea, the thought that I should be filming myself and how to film myself, those are all the little ideas that kept compounding on each other. But the epiphany moment was actually created by an opportunity of someone else filming stuff. So Mark Burnett had a series called Survivor Series. And it wasn't about survival at all. And it was terrible in terms, people loved it. It was very entertaining. Okay, but, but in terms of survival, it was nothing. It was a terrible thing. Like it, just, it just wasn't survival at all. So, but it, it spurred in my mind that, okay, maybe, maybe now is the time. So that's the other thing about ideas are timing. You know, what's the timing of your idea? Is it the right time? A lot of people have amazing ideas and they have them in the wrong time. They're either either too soon or they happen when they can't pull them off or they're too late, you know? And for a long time, my idea was too soon. So I let it, I let it fester. I let it build. I let it grow. Uh, fester is the wrong word. I let it germinate. How about that? And so then I found myself with the aha moment. Aha! So people are interested in this, eh? Well, I got an idea that's nobody's done yet. And I think just to finish this off as to say, I believe there's two ways for ideas, your, your good idea to exist. One is you're either the, the Richard Branson version. So he's, he heads up Virgin, right? Virgin Mobile, Virgin Airlines, Virgin, everything. Filthy Rich. His idea is build a better mousetrap. So you see something, you think you can fix it, you know you can do something better about it, or you know you can do it differently. That's that's making a better mousetrap. The other version is it's completely new, uncharted territory. I love uncharted territory. It is my favorite. Survivor Man and teaching survival this way on television and actually surviving, so not just doing a, a VHS tape on how to do a fireball, but actually going out and survive. Putting that all together, that was uncharted territory. Nobody had ever done that. So, whereas the original idea came from the Richard Branson model, the original idea was I wanted to build a better mousetrap, but then all of a sudden I saw a completely different way to catch mice. Mm. So it was a very organic process. And you mentioned something about the idea being almost too soon. I think you said that. And it reminds me of a conversation we had had 
you had brought up, and correct me if I'm wrong, I could be completely misremembering this. I think I was struggling a little bit with, oh, being a musician and how long am I going to, how long is it going to take till I make money and that whole thing. And I think you told me, you brought up, you said, you know, Matt, like how long, how long do you think it took me from the time I got into the survival stuff till the time Survivor Man took off? And I, I was like, oh, 24, you know, 25 or something. And I think you said, what, 36, something like that? Uh, actually, I was, uh, 40, 40, uh, 40, let's say 42. I was 42. Yeah. Well, I mean, and my original idea was 15 years before that. So I had 15 years of, of, of the, that particular idea germinating and and developing as the story that I've just told you. And I was 42 when I was able to do the pilot, you know, 43, 44, when I did the second pilot and I was close to 45 when I, when I launched the survivor man series. And then I was still another two years before I made enough money that I even broke through the poverty line, you know, as a, as a, as a father of two, you know, and a family of four sort of thing. So, you know, I think this is an interesting discussion because, and it does lend to the spiritual and, and the way you think of things, because I have a, I, I know a guy, for example, who's a, he's quite a good songwriter and he has sat down with Garth Brooks. He's, sat in the room with some great people. He's never really hit. He's very morose about it, very depressed about it. And he's, you know, to the point where if I speak to him, he's like, oh, I, I don't know, I, sooner or later, some people will realize my music is, is you know, <laughs> their hits, and I guess I'll just have to be a success posthumously. It'll have to happen after I'm dead. And it's, you know, very Eeyore approach to, you know, I guess if I have to, you know, kind of approach. And I've never, it's not my place to speak to him on this, but, but I, I think that's the wrong way to approach things, you know, is, is to, to me, everything's the long game. Everything I get involved in is the long game. And so it can't, your, your motivation or or at least your end goal, if your end goal is rich and fame and notoriety and vindication and success, and you know, that's a painful, that's a painful journey. Whereas if your if your end game is just accomplishing, um, it's a wonderful journey because you can accomplish this afternoon. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Okay, so I I have a couple more questions here, kind of moving a little bit away from Survivor Man. Well, actually not because there's one more that I thought was really interesting when you had brought it up to me originally. You had, you had mentioned that when you had this idea for Survivor Man, when you're I think you're taking it a little you're taking it seriously, ready to start bringing it into reality. You brought it up to some coworkers, and they were pretty. They kind of shot you down. Like, what do you think you're doing? I, I don't know exactly what they said, but the way I took it was like that. I'm curious, how did you deal with that animosity then, and how would you deal with that animosity now? Well, animosity is a strong word, but it's not out of place here because sometimes it is animosity. I would say negativity. Uh, you know, we. You know, uh, it's. Um, how about just rejection, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a lack of vindication, you know, all those things, uh, mo- right to, to the point of mocking, uh, which is getting closer to animosity. Uh, and I, yeah, I felt that from your friends, you get, you get the mocking, you get the, 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 the joking from people who are a little jealous of you. You get the animosity from people who are higher up and already in powerful positions. You get, they condescend. 
And I got all of that. I re- in fact, the, I don't know if I ever told you this part of the story, but, but si- that was from people I respected, but the, uh, the, the sort of the mocking and like, yeah, sure, whatever. But from an actual executive producer of a major, of Discovery Canada, actually, Jill Offman, she actually looked at me and condescendingly said, Les, no one is ever going to want to watch people survive on television. And now think of where we're at today. And I, and I said, no, you're wrong. People will like this. They will get this. And that's exactly what a major executive producer at a major network told me, that, that no one's ever going to want to watch survival on TV. It's like, well, I think you're wrong. And of course, we know, who, we know who proved who right in that situation because, you know, Survivor Man was the, was the zeitgeist of, of, of all survival TV that, that there is today. And so she was, but, but, but what do I do with that? What do I do? How, where do I take that, that feedback? Cause that, I got, now I got feedback from my friends, from my business associates who are friends and from higher ups and everybody saying, this isn't, you know, no less, that's, that's going to be boring. Like, why would you even want to do that? And me, me believing in my own, you know, idea first as a better mousetrap, but now starting to see that this is also uncharted territory. How do you hold true? What you're asking is how do you hold true to that? How do you deal with that? And there's a lot, there's a bigger answer to that question. And I'll, I'll, I'll dip in my toe into that water a bit is, is to say that you, you learn through self-help books and mentorship and guidance, and you learn from counseling that you, you'll hear this a lot. The idea that you should disassociate with toxic people. And that was a really important thing for me to learn. And those toxic people, and I don't care if toxic is a strong word, it's the right word, really. Those toxic people take a lot of forms from your best buddy to an executive producer at a network, to your neighbor, to your mother, to everybody in between. Those toxic let's call them the toxic reactions to your idea, your little idea. They take a lot of forms. And so it almost seems like they're always in great abundance. Just when you think you're feeling confident and you know you, you, you thought out and you talked down that last little attack from the, your buddy who mocked you for your idea, you're ready to go. But then you, then you turn, turn around and your mom says the same thing to you. you know? Or someone in the, in the know, in the network, or in the position you want to get to says the same thing to you. Now, to be able to sit there and think that Jill Offman at Discovery Canada was wrong, that took a lot of chutzpah, you know, I'm, I'm flattering myself, but it, it took some cojones. And mm-hmm. there, there has to be room in your psyche, in your heart, in your mind to, it sounds kind of goofy, but to be able to sit there and just say, Everybody else is wrong and I'm right. That's a tough one. Hmm. It's a tough, because you can say that with different tones. Anybody else is wrong. I'm right. I know. That's one way to do it. That's the wrong way to do it, right? But to just go, I just don't think any of The way I think about it is anybody that I've so far been in touch with doesn't get it. They don't see what I see. But it's only the people you've so far been in touch with. And think about it for a moment. How many people is that? Often it's only three people. It's not like you beta tested an idea 
you know, with a focus group, you know, of 45 people and walked, went around the United States. None of us do that. We, we go and we talk to our buddies. And, and, and in the end, you've, we probably only talk to three people. So in the end, you have to go, well, only three people. I've spoken to three people and none of them get it. Well, they're idiots and I'm right. <laughs> you know, and it's not to be coarse. It's not to be harsh on them. It's just that you have to sometimes do that. You have to feel not that they're idiots, but just simply that they just don't. Those people I've checked in with, they don't get it. Even the higher ups, she didn't get it. Because I'll tell you the, 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 the upshot of that story is I walked down the hallway Within the same hour that, that Jill Offman said to me, no one's ever going to want to watch Survival on television, Anna Stambolic for a different network said, you're kidding, Jill, turn this down. I love it. Let's do it. So that was all within the same hour. And so I went from being crushed wow. to being vindicated. You know. So that's the thing about your ideas is you have to be... Now, the, you know, I better add a tidbit to this because the problem is if you sit there thinking everybody else is wrong and you're right, you could be wrong. <laughs> it could be a shitty idea. It could be a bad idea. And, and you have to be prepared. That's why I like having lots of ideas because some of them are going to be bad. Yeah. And it, I guess I'm, I'm looking a little bit deeper into this. It didn't sound like you were one of those people that's like, my idea is great no matter what. I believe in my idea hard, headstrong about it. You just kind of had this, you know, feeling and you knew, you knew, and you weren't uh, being swayed by other people's interpretation of your idea. Yeah, and you're talk- what you're talking about there, certainly if we think about, like I'm, I'm a bit not fascinated, if anything, I'm, I'm frustrated now with you know, the mountain of material on self-help and guidance on, on YouTube. Now. And now they're all on YouTube now, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the Dave Groggins or Goggins and, and the Tony... <laughs> yeah. Tony Robbins and and the secret and everything and Mike Ferris everything in between it goes on and on and on and you do get that you know you need to be so you got to put on your armor and go out there because you know you're gonna you're right no your idea could just be stupid it could be dumb and that's why it's really good to to run your idea by a lot of people not necessarily to succumb to them talking it down and 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 then you feeling like it's wrong but to help you work it out. Because if a lot of people do say the same thing, at least about an aspect of your idea, they may be right. You could be right about your idea, but wrong about two or three points that surround that idea. Like, well, that part's really good, but that other part you're talking about, I don't get it. And, you know, 10 other people say the same thing. It's like, okay, why, why does nobody get that part? Okay, I need to work on that part. So yeah, no, I was never hell-bent for leather. I'm too insecure for that. Way too, to me, you know, I. I kind of think fantastically and whimsically that, well, I know in my fantasy mind, my idea is wonderful. But in the real world, can it really take hold? And that's where my insecurity comes in. Everything works in my fantasy. Not everything works in the real world. So I have to connect the two. I have to find that middle ground where my fantasy and the real world connect. And that's when I know I've got something. And that's actually kind of refreshing to hear somebody at your creative level that's, you know, had these successes that you experience that insecurity. Cause I think like you're talking about like the David Goggins and the Tony Robbins. Oh, you can't think that way. Oh yeah. It's like, no dude, we're just, we're human beings making stuff and we're going to be insecure sometimes. That doesn't mean you have to completely, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
No, I, I think, you know, to, to deny our insecurities is, is I think, silly. You know, yeah, I, I do struggle with that kind of instruction. And, and, you know, to tangent for a second, I struggle with the mentorship that comes from a, just a room filled of type A personalities who are trying to make us all be type A personalities when most of us are type C. And so my, I've even thought about, you know, funnily enough, I was thinking this morning about, you know, one of these days I will put together my philosophies for the rest of us, for the rest of us, for the type C's out there. Cause most of us, I mean, at best I'm a type B, B minus, you know, people think I'm a type <laughs> A because if I get talkative at a party, but I'm, that's not, that's, that's gregariousness. That's different, you know? And so all these type A personalities, you know, there's one dude I like, I like, I'm going to mock this guy eventually more often. I think, but <laughs> I don't even remember his name, but he's, but he, for the longest time, his, his, his commercials got in the way of me trying to watch a YouTube video and he'd come down and he always starts off by going, Hey, what up, what up everybody? Uh, and then it'd be like, I just climbed down that 18,000 uh, mountain peak and, and uh, I made uh, $15,000 in the last five minutes. I, I, I can help you. Yeah, I'm just like, Oh man. No, you know, it's like the real world and the rest of us are not like that, you know? And, and so I think if the Tony Robbins and the Tim Ferriss and the Goggins pull you out of a funk, great. I think they have things about them that what they say that is fantastic, but you can't be them. They're type A, man. They, 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 they got Red Bull in their bloodstream, you know, and I don't, you know, I like mellow, you know, and, and most of us do. So I remember even Tony Robbins saying one time he couldn't believe that people would watch a movie twice. And for a while I was thinking like, oh yeah, he's got a point, you know, that you should be doing new things, like doing new and creating new things and getting on it. And, and then I thought, wait, you know, and after a while I, I thought, you know, wait a minute, a lot of people read books six times. What's wrong with reading Great Expectations by Charles Dickens again? Or 1984 by George Orwell. Or what's wrong with reading a Margaret Atwood book twice? What's wrong with that? A lot of people do that. That's respectful. Well, then why can't I watch a really damn good movie twice? You know? And then I thought, no, Tony's, Tony, he's on his brainwaves. So yeah, that hell bent for leather. Like I say, you can tell it's a thing and it's a, it's a thing in my craw because I just, I think it can be disappointing for people if when we discover we're not type A, type A. You know, and and we are type C, but we can be type C and still achieve great things. That's the missing link. Yeah, and you look at a lot of the greatest creators. A lot of them were introverts. A lot of people that took time to do their own thing and process on their own. They weren't out there blabbing their mouth at a party. You know, and I think that's important to remember. People to know that it's like it's okay if you don't gain energy by being in large groups of people. We've touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious if you have anything more to say about it. Uh, do you have anything to say about the importance of creativity in our spiritual lives and what has been the importance of creativity in your life? And that's a big question, you know, since it's had such a big impact on you. Yeah, it is a big question. Um, but I'm, I, I just so highly value creativity. And I, I'm not even sure how to define creativity because, you know, I don't want to limit creativity to, to Picasso, you know, to painting and writing and I don't know, drawing and creativity is, it's, it could be a daily thing. I mean, people are creative in how they raise their children. You know, they're creative in how you support your kid at a soccer match. They're creative in how you look after, look after your dog. 
you know, and, and, and then there's, you know, and then there's architects and builders and there's, you know, I was creative when I was a garbage man in how I, how I grabbed the garbage off your front lawn, you know? So creativity is still the fire burning within all humans. I do believe that. And how it connects to spirituality for me is that a large part of my any of my spiritual manifestation is gratitude and mm. so i still invoke gratitude still not really knowing what i'm doing still just saying the words still just having a a, a whiff of a belief that my gratitude is rewarded by more of what I'm being grateful for. So it's that whole secret thing. It's that whole law of attraction thing. It's that whole, you know, be grateful for what you have and you, you, you know, more will be bestowed upon you. We could start to use biblical language and phrasing if we wanted to. I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Seems to be something to that. And I do it. And so one of the things that I am often grateful for is the way, and I'll tell you exactly how I say it. I'm, I'm grateful for the, and I don't say my creativity. I often just say the creativity and all of the chances I get to express it. That's my creative invoking every day is, you know, uh, one of them, one of them is I'm grateful for the creativity and all the chances I have to express it. And I'm tangibly thinking about things like writing a song or writing a book or making a film, you know, producing content, if you will, but it is, it, it, creativity does flow through us in many other ways. And the second way that I look at creativity and, and spirituality and the connective tissue there is that I find, and maybe this is, maybe this is more the fantasy version of my thinking, but <laughs> I find that um, the, the concept that creativity, that a creative concept or idea or bubble of energy exists separate and apart from me, but is out there, and that I can be a receptor for it, that fascinates me to no end. I think Tom Waits talks a lot about, about that, you know, about these bubbles of energy. And, and he talked, in fact, he has a joke once about talking about how there was this song came to him but he was driving and he didn't want to write a song. So he told it to go away and bother Leonard Cohen, you know, and it's just so that's Tom Waits for you. And then there's another story of a woman who was a poet and she saw the poems coming into her room and they would, she had to have a pencil ready because when it, as soon as it touched her, she had to out, it would come. And what she tells the story of one time seeing the wind coming across the cornfield she was in and she knew that was a poem and she had to run home before the wind could catch her so that by the time it got to her, she had her pencil in her hand and she could write the poem. So that concept as fantastical as it is, is intriguing to me. It's just, it doesn't hurt to be intrigued by that and to think that in one way, 
there is energy and ideas that's within me that the universe is allowing me to express. And in the other way, there are other balls of energy that are out in the universe. And maybe, just maybe, I can be one of the receptors. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, did you read uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? No, I'll look for that. Okay. And she talks about that concept. And I, I love what you're saying. It's really not completely out of the possibility. I mean, we don't, there's parts of our minds and our brains that we don't understand, parts of our subconscious that we don't understand, these messages that we receive. And um, I mean, maybe in 100 years and 200 years, I'll discover, oh, wow, these creative ideas, there's a way to identify them. You know, they're floating around out here. And I definitely uh, identify with that way of looking at creativity. And even if it is a fantastical idea, I think it helps to maybe separate a little bit of the ego from it in a sense, where instead of it's like my idea, it's like, well, there's a lot of experiences that I've had that can kind of, you know, coalesce and form into this creative thing that I want to do. Well, I think the the ego's role in that situation is to be the engine. Mm-hmm. And the ego gets you up in the morning. You know, the ego can stop you from doing the wrong thing. You know, you know, don't don't go eat that big plate of fr- greasy French fries. Don't do it. It's going to lull you down. You're going to be you're going to end up going to bed early instead of you know finishing writing that song. Don't do it. You know. So the the ego is is I think it's that he's the he's the engine. He's he's the devil on the left shoulder, but he's a good devil. Yeah like utilizing it rather than, you know, demonizing it and acting like you shouldn't have one. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So actually that's funny because we were talking about big magic and one of the next questions I have brings that up. Yeah. So I'll read you the question, but it's funny that we were just talking about that. It says um, in big magic, she speaks about creative ideas as these beings that visit us and ask us to bring them into creation. So it's funny that, and my next question was like, does this resonate with you at all? But you know, you're really, kind of got there before me, which is awesome. So we don't mm-hmm. need to really, we don't really need to get into that. Um, well, you know, I, I bet you, you know, one thing that we could add to it though, is that I wonder whether or not there are beings that if you're receptive, you can receive them. Or I wonder if they're looking for you. I wonder, it wouldn't it be intriguing to know that if, if could anybody have received this idea? Are they open to it? Or are you the special soul that mm. needs to receive this idea? Mm. That's a, that's an, that's a, that we could go out. That's another whole tangent right there. Mm-hmm. I love that though. Or, or these ideas finding the right collaborative partner, you know, for instance, the imperfect Buddhist, you know, this guy that's practicing Buddhism for years and working at a, you know, bookstore and maybe this podcast idea about, you know, incorporating Buddhism into um, daily life. Finds a guy that might be an okay partner. Hey, he knows how to edit audio. He knows how to, uh, you know, do some basic rudimentary video stuff. So it's, uh, it is interesting. And maybe I just pass up on the ideas that aren't a good fit. Mm. So, so we're going to move into a little bit of having you offer, if you'd like, some advice to listeners and to myself. And this is a subject you and I have talked about a little bit uh, over the phone, but in the midst of a long project, um, after you've you know put a bunch of time in, maybe doubt starts to creep in on that project. I'm curious, there's anything you'd like to offer for listeners for getting back on track and completing their work? Mm. I think for me, the motivation to complete, when, when, when things are a struggle, 
also comes down a little bit to the honor of the situation. And when I say the honor, what I mean is you started something, finish it. If you need to put a pin in it, then at least finish the component you're working on. Finish it componently. Maybe the big picture you're going to end up walking away from, but you need to finish the components. And so if I look at what I'm working on right now, I'm looking on a, I'm working on a 90 minute special for American public television on surviving disasters. And there's been moments, a lot of moments of this that have dragged me down. And the reason why they've dragged me down has been circumstantial, basically the pandemic, which has led to the fact that there's no money, which means that now I'm doing a project totally pro bono where I should have had plenty of money, which means that I can't hire the people who should have been working with me to do all of these various things. I should have, I should have people working on stuff. Instead, I got to do it all myself. So you can see how it, you know, it's all right there fresh in my brain as I speak it because I've been going through this. But in the sense of honor, I got to suck it up. I got to suck it up because those are speed bumps. Those are things. I can't use those as, the, as excuses to say, oh, I'm going to quit now. You know, there isn't enough money like we thought there was going to be. Uh, and so I can't hire the people I need. It's going to take longer. When the real answer is, hey, everyone, the money's not there. It's going to take longer but I can still complete it. And the reason I can say that is because I know I have the skill set to complete those various components. I just didn't want to. I wanted other people to do the, to do the editing, but there's no one there, so I have to do it. So I know that I can complete the, the, the components. So complete the components. Everything that I can complete or can learn to complete, the honor pushes me to complete. The what, 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 honor to who? Honor to what? Honor to the fact that I started. And that's why it's important to start things that you think you're going to want to complete. When you start a lot of stupid ideas, you, you <laughs> find yourself hating them and, and chastising yourself for starting them. And then, and then there's lots of justification in quitting, mm -hmm. you know, because they were, why did you even get started on that? That's a dumb idea. But, you know, <laughs> that's, Another tangent, because you, it's about recognizing that you're, you're working on something that, you know, this is the wrong road. I've gone down the wrong road here. Okay, fine. But just mm -hmm. the fact is you did go down that road. And in the process of doing so, you've made some promises, at the very least to yourself, that you were going to do this thing. So if you're not going to finish the road because you realize it's the wrong road, that's okay. But you should finish the components that you started. So the, the pieces of that road that you started, finish those, clean them, clean up, you know, tie off the loose, tie off the loose ends, uh, you know, all those analogies, you know, nip off the branches, that sort of thing. So in the case of this special I'm doing for APT, I have to, in a business sense, I have to deliver the whole thing. So I can do that. I can complete the components. I can deliver it. And I will have the joy of completion when I'm done. And, I, and, and that's all about me honoring my current situation. Now, will I take it farther? Will I go into all those other avenues I thought I might go? Maybe not. Those are the ones I can say, okay, I was going to do a big online presence, but I don't need to do that. I'm not committed to anybody to that, so I'm not going to do that now. I was going to do a series out of this, but you know what? The money's not there. I just, there's, there's just, it's not there to do a series. Those are components I can't complete, so don't. That's the thing. I am a multitasker. I don't start one thing. I start seven things. There's a lot of people that need to hear that kind of 
discussion over what do you do if you're a multitasker? What do you do if you bite off more than you can chew? What if you bite off more than you can chew on a daily basis? What if you're one of those people? Because a lot of the Tony Robbins of this world, a lot of the Tim Ferrisses and a lot of the, they, they want you to pick one thing and focus your ass off. And I can't, I can't pick one thing and focus. I just, it, it, and I'm, and I'm, man, I'm almost 60 years old. So don't tell me I can, I'm going to, change and become a focused person on one thing, that'll never be me. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people like me out there that that'll never be them either. Keeping a journal. I always talk about the keeping of a journal. Can't do it. Can't do it. Tried many times. Can't do it. You know why? Because it's not for me. Doesn't mean I'm not a success and that I don't complete and that I don't get the job done on lots of things. Because look at me, obviously I do, but I don't journal. You know, some of the, some of the, the, the advice we've touched on this strangely a couple of times in this conversation, but the advice that's given out there by a lot of type A personalities and a lot is also given out there by a lot of personalities who are very singularly focused. Good for them. If you are singularly focused, awesome. You're probably more likely to become a 10,000 hour person who's an amazing pro at one thing than I ever will be. I'm really good at a, at a lot of things, but I'm fantastic at nothing. And that's okay with me. I'm, I'm good with that. Every time I try to focus on one thing, I get bored. And if I get really, really good at it, because I'm only doing the one thing after a while, I'm like, well, what are those guys doing over there? I want to do that. I want to do that now. But taking things to, through to fruition, to, to circle this back to me is a matter of honoring. Honoring, honor yourself. You know, you said you were going to do it. You still like it. And you're able to do it. So do it. Finish it. One more point is that sometimes, even if it, even if it hurts, I got a film that I acted in and I think the guy's long form edit is really bad and I'm not going to help him promote it. And I'm embarrassed by, by it. However, there's a, there's an opportunity in there to edit it down to a short feature, very quirky, very dark. And I've said enough times, I'm going to complete this. I'm going to do this for you, my friend. And I'm going to make this a short and I'll help you promote that, but I'm not going to promote the long version you're doing because I, I, it's, it's wrong, dude. And in my opinion, it needs, it needs a lot of work. So I'll, I'll do that work. Well, right now that is sitting on the back shelf because I'm too busy doing other things. And even my wife would like me to not do it. But my sense of honor says, you know what? I said I would do it. I, I got to do it. I said it. I, I've got to honor. And so that'll be like hell or high water. I will get that done. If I have to work late, I will get that thing done at some point. And I can tell you that when you do that, when you get that thing done, it feels great. It's just good karma in the end. Part of it too, it's, it's this weird subconscious thing. If you say something, you're going to do something and you don't, and you break that promise to yourself, kind of sets up this pattern inside. And I hear that. And I like that you you got into kind of explaining what you meant by honor. I think that's important to hear that. And kind of seeing a little bit from the outside, you talked about a couple of topics here, but what I keep hearing is it's about, in Buddhism, we talk about the middle path and walking the middle path. There's a ditch on either side. If you go too far in either direction, you, you risk falling in the ditch. And what you're talking about really reminds me of that, where it's like, you know, maybe this project, as I get into it, I realize it isn't for me. But instead of just throwing it out, which would be one ditch, 
or, you know, completing everything in it and doing it, you know, hundred percent all the way when I know it's it maybe sucks or it's just, it's not a good idea for me. I, I like what you talked about that middle path, you know, just completing that component, completing that component. I think that's a beautiful thing because you're honoring the project, the work you've put in, but you're also honoring your intuition and, and your true connection with the project by maybe not completing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. And I think it's an important message for people to hear. Like you said, we're, we're really dominated by a lot of this type A personality type stuff. And I think that it's hard for people to realize there is a gray area and it's okay to live in that gray area because that's life. There is no black and white, especially hearing it from you, someone that's you know, done these bigger projects. So one of my favorite things about learning from you and talking with you has been your guidance when it has, when, you know, completing project, it's actually helped me to complete projects or components. What advice would you give to someone who has an idea, you know, for a project, but doesn't know where to start, doesn't even know where to start? Well, here's how I start. I start with research. We do have the God of Google Hmm. and I think a little bit of research, take a, Start, start, um, start dipping your toe in the water. Who else is doing this? And has anybody else ever done this before? If they do it, did they do it this way? What else of this exists? Are these people I should meet? Are these people I should contact? It's all about really dipping your toe in the water. You have to, you just, you just start. In very many ways, if it's, if it's a, an idea that's really going to take shape, it's like push, pushing a snowball down the top of a hill. This, the minute you do that first Google search, the minute you do that first YouTube search, you, you've, you've started. Here we go. The idea, because, and then the idea can start to take form and you can start to critique your own idea and, and find out how it's going to take shape in the best ways. And sometimes it's an idea that who cares if a million other people have done it? You can still do it. Other times it's an idea where it's like, I don't think anybody else has ever done this. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, everybody's already done this. Yeah. I guess it's I guess it's not a unique idea after all. I just didn't know, you know. And so there's that too, you know. Um you and I are both podcasters, but podcasting's not new. You know, if we're if we're doing our own podcast, you as a Buddhist exploring Zen and Buddhism and its connectivity to life itself, and me as a, a my my podcast focuses on, you know, interviewing a lot of inspiring people, artists and creativity and how they create, but we're both basically just trying to build a slightly, if not better, different mousetrap. You know, there's a lot of mousetraps in the world of podcasting. So we're not necessarily making a better mousetrap. We're making a different mousetrap. And the people who listen will decide that they like our version of the mousetrap better to give us their time versus going and listening to Sam Harris. So our idea of doing a podcast. We already knew how to, we didn't have to do a Google search to know that there's a million podcasts out there today. I mean, literally thousands per day. And the percentage of those that will fail must be very, very high. But you just start, I think, by research. Because you want to know, you want to know if you're the only person with this idea or one of many. Right. And talk to your friends, you know, talking to you really actually helped me form the Imperfect Buddhist into something that's, it's working. Seems like, you know, it's starting to catch traction, I think. And it's partly some of the advice you gave me about be yourself. You're not, I don't know everything. And I think that can turn off a lot of people. But when I come in there and say, hey, I got pissed off at my coworker today because he made a comment about my shorts or something, you know? Yeah, I get pissed off. Everybody gets pissed off. Now, what do we do with that when we are practicing mindfulness? And it's, 
so it's been it's been awesome. And I think just tagging that on is we started out talking about how friends can be very critical, but also friends can also offer the correct friends can offer, you know, maybe a different perspective that you haven't considered when you're forming your idea. No, they, they, they serve as a mirror. They're a terrific sounding board. You know, like I said, sometimes when you're forming an idea, if you, you, it's one thing for your idea to be in your brain. It's another thing for it to leave your lips. The minute you start speaking it, I've, I've had ideas. And the first time I expressed the idea to someone else, before the sentence was finished, I knew it was a wrong idea. I'm like, what do you, because you start off with, what do you think if we blah, 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 you know what? Forget it. Now that I say it, this is like stupid. And you have to, you have to do that process. Our brain, our, our fantasy world will enable that idea to live in beautiful fruition. But the minute it comes into the, like I said, we started this off with that whole thing about the connectivity between the fantasy world and the real world, real world. That's the magic zone mm. where ideas can really take, take form. And it's, and it's, it's in a way it's bringing that fantasy imagination world and bringing that idea into form and it can't even stand up to the form of speech. So maybe it's not a good exactly. idea. <laughs> yeah. If it, do, if it doesn't verbalize in an audible sense, then, then you're in a dream world at the moment. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're not coming out of that dream world. I'm good for just a couple more minutes, by the way. Oh yeah. And I got a, I got, I got a call coming up in five minutes. So. Okay. Let's see. Um, let's get to the real good stuff. I want to ask a little bit about your music. So when I, when I met you at Ro- Roasters, we really connected over music and you're working on some big projects. You had an album you'd been working on. And um, you mentioned some, in some of these conversations a little bit of the dis- like disappointment you had felt with how the release went. Can you talk on that for a moment? And have you been, how have you been dealing with these feelings and what have you learned from the project? Well, I think starting with what I've learned, the disappointment was because I trusted others I went on the instincts of others, even when I sensed some instinct of my own, you know, it, it not, not being right. You know, it's that kind of thing where, you know, I had said certain things and I could tell they weren't really listening, but I didn't stop. I didn't stop the process. So the disappointment was more in myself because since that time and working on new stuff, I've. I've seen that I can do just fine and do very well, but it's about trusting my own instincts and getting away from huh, the wannabe helpers, I suppose. I mean, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of ma- a management team that I was working with mm-hmm. who weren't really listening to me when I was giving them the warning signs of what was possible. And, you know, but they saw a TV star. They saw an easy, an easy route. And when it wasn't an easy route, they couldn't take it. I was expecting the challenges of the stigma of being survivor man trying to release my music. They thought survivor man was going to save my music and make it big out of the starting gate. And they just, I kept trying to convince them and tell them that that's not going to connect. And they, they thought they knew better than me because they were young management people, you know, that, Oh, Les just doesn't know. And I, and, uh, Turns out I did know better than them hmm. and part of partially because I've got, you know, 15 years on them and, and that much more experience than them. So I was aware, but my insecurity enabled me to stick with them. So now the, the fruition, if you will, of my music out there in the world is all about humility and offerings. The humility is that, you know, I'm way past 
it clicking or becoming something like famous for, you know, for. Is it possible that someday, somewhere, sometime, some producer might hear one of my songs and go, I want to put that on the next Avengers movie? Yeah, sure. That's possible. But (laughs) it's a radically long, long, long shot. Mm -hmm. So what what do I do instead? I, I live in the humility. I live in the belief that my creative work as a musician is good and strong. And I, and I, I just release, keep putting it out to the universe, keep putting it out, mm. just putting it out there. Not like that friend I talked about earlier who thinks he's only going to you know, finally make it posthumously. Uh, no, in my, I, I, be, that'd be great. I hope something happens after I'm dead, but in the, that's not the point. The point is that I just need to do what I do, put that music out, keep it going out there. And I've already had lots of vindication of my music from people in the smaller sense where someone says, I really love this song and it means a lot to me. That's all I need. That's all I need. That's where the humility comes in. So I will keep, I will keep marching forward musically no matter what. And I'm going to release my double album, Mother Earth on vinyl. Uh, It's being pressed as we speak. That to me is a dream come true. I've ordered a thousand copies because I can afford a thousand copies. And if I give them all away, and that's the end of it. I'm a happy man. I'm a happy writer. I don't have to think of it doing anything else. That's awesome. And that's a way that other people will discover it. You know, they're a mother. What? They're going to pull this thing out and pop it in. And that's what's so cool about records. You know, uh, digital stuff, it's, it can be hard to discover, really. It gets buried. So that's awesome. Well, I understand that vinyl is catching on again. And, and I, I, I hope it really catches on because um, we all we do now is listen to vinyl. I went 20 years without listening to vinyl because of CDs and digital, but now I'm right back at it. And it's still for anyone who's anyone younger, much younger, you know, they've got to experience the tactile uh, effort of pulling the, the album out and bending over and putting it on and dropping the needle and sitting down and listening to it. There's nothing like that. It's an experience that was lost and now it's coming back and I love it. Same. If no one's listened to your music, if someone's listening to this and they haven't listened to your music, what song would you suggest they start with? I personally really like Arctic Mistress. That was the one that kind of really pulled me in. But I'm curious, what song do you think would be good for people to start with, get to know you as a musician? You know, Arctic Mistress is not bad because it, it's a cross-genre song. It's, it's very easy to listen to. If I, but it's going to depend on what they love. If I, if I'm directing them in the direction that they love, then for me, you've got the easy listening of, of Arctic Mistress. You've got the more progressive rock stuff of the Mother Earth album, like Into the Wind is my favorite song. Or you've got the roots rock of my album, Bitter Lake. But, but if you like acoustic, Bruce Coburny and folk stuff and that, then you go to any of my albums. Well, I, I, I have a song that my friend called Art. Art Folk, which is a song called Clouds <laughs> off my first album. I think it's a really beautiful piece. Um, so yeah, but uh, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to pick one song. That's for sure. Oh yeah. And I, I really also enjoyed the, I forget what it was called. Is it the Barnyard Sessions? Was that what it was? Yeah. So I did a couple albums where it was all live off the floor and I'm going to do more of those. That was fun. That's, that's good. It's a good vibe. You're all in one room and you know, you're not doing overdubs. Everybody has to get it including my voice, you know, so mm-hmm. I love doing those. So just so I know, I mean, how much time you got left? Like four minutes, two minutes? I think two, yeah, I should get going. Oh, okay. Okay, this one, this one is, I think could be really interesting for people. You know, recently in the last couple of years, you've heard Jim Carrey come out and talk about, you know, success and money and 
just saying that it hasn't really led to any deep impact on him, I guess, in his emotional or spiritual life. But I'm curious, kind of starting out, what is it like having a hugely successful creative project like Survivor Man? You know, what's it, what's it feel like to have something that you've poured your heart in, you know, expand to a worldwide success like that? What was that? What is that feeling like? You know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that it feels fantastic. It feels great. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a story once. A buddy of mine, musician, he, he, well, he's, a, he's a little bit of a failed musician in that he's given up on himself, but he's a very talented writer. And we happen to be in a bar one time and, and, uh, and, he, and he comes over and, and we're, we're standing at the bar and having a beer and, 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 he, and he, he asks me, he goes, less, he goes, less, 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 he goes. And he's pausing and he's, I see him, his heart's even racing. Like, <laughs> What's it like? <laughs> and, and I'm, and I'm like, and I, and I think I, I went into, oh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's good, Ted, you know, I mean, you know, it, but it comes with a lot of negative stuff too. I mean, there's, you know, in the business side of it really sucks. And he, and he's, he stops me and he's, no, no, no. He goes, and he looks at me and his eyes are piercing mine. And, it's like, <laughs> and he's like, he was desperate for an answer. And, 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 and it, he goes, what's it like? We, we connected psychically because I just looked at him and I knew what he wanted. <laughs> and I said, it's fucking great. And he just, <laughs> he slams his hands on the table, uh, on the bar. And he goes, I knew it. And he turns away and he's like, I knew it. I fucking knew it. I knew it. And he says, because he, he didn't achieve the success that he wanted. Yeah. And he didn't want to hear me placate him or say, oh, it comes with bad stuff too. And there's like, he wanted me to hear because I'd made it. That it's fucking great, and mm-hmm. I'll leave you with that. You know, it is. It 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 really is. And does it? Does the finances have anything to do with my soul? Not a not a damn thing. No pun intended. But uh, but <laughs> but did did the did the finances create opportunities for me to explore the world and have fun? Yeah, sure they did. Of course they did. Like they say, was it? Yeah, <laughs> having having money is not happiness no but it does make it easier to find it <laughs> so you know i mean it is a capitalistic money driven world and i have no intention of joining a joining a monastery monastery so yeah it, it, mm-hmm. it is it feels great it you know and you know why why it feels great or what part of it feels great completion that's what feels great i can i was 30 before i completed something that i started 30 years old that was long, still before Survivor Man. It took me 30 years to understand and learn the joy of completion. And I almost did it accidentally. But when I did it, and I was sitting there with my first barn sessions, or no, that was actually not barns, but my first CD in my hand, my first documentary film in my hand as a DVD, uh, actually as a VHS tape, I remember thinking, this feels amazing. Why, why, why haven't I been doing this my whole life? And so ever since that day, that moment, I'm always about completing, even if it's something shitty, even if I didn't like the process complete, because now I can sit back and look at a, at a catalog of material. And to say, I'm not proud of it would be, I would make me a liar. I am proud of it. I'm proud of what survivor man has done. Mm. Um, that doesn't change the fact that I'm still insecure less, you know, I'm still little insecure me who just keeps thinking his next idea is really cool, but everybody's going to hate it but I wish I could do it and maybe I can make it happen. I should try. I'm going to run it by my wife first. Let's see what she thinks. Oh, she didn't think it was that good. Oh, now I'm feeling even more insecure, but I'm still, that's me every day anyway. So completion 
mm. gives me the, the, the cajones, if you will, the ego to say, well, uh, you know, I've had lots of bad ideas that failed. So I know that there's other ideas out there yet for me to complete. And so that's what keeps me going forward. Thank you so much for your time, Les. It was a pleasure talking with you as always, and I'll uh, get, be in touch with you soon. We'll be talking again. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening all the way through to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and turn on notifications. It'll keep you notified when I post new episodes. I hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, this is just one guy's interpretation along the Buddhist path. Bye. Bye.